Mark chapter number 4, and let's begin reading in verse number 35. If you're glad you're saved and in church this morning, say amen. 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 All right. Mark chapter 4, verse number 35. The Bible said, In the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's pray. Father, we come before you here this morning. God, we thank you for the opportunity to be able to get up and to preach your word once again. Thank you for those that's came out here this morning to hear your word. And we thank you for giving us your word, a sure foundation. It's God, it's something that never changes and it never wavers. There's not one lie. There's not, not a contradiction in it. Lord, if it was, we might as well close our Bibles and just go to the house and live life however we want to. But I thank you this morning that you're not a liar and you're consistent. And I appreciate that in you, and I appreciate that character in you. Thank you for all you've done for us. Thank you for continuing to bless this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now here, uh, I want to preach a message this morning that's entitled, The Master of the Storm. Uh, Jesus is the master of the storm. What you see is that it's been a long and, and difficult day for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that thing started back in Mark chapter number 3 and verse number 20. And uh, he had a confrontation with the Pharisees in verse 22 through verse number 30. Uh, his friends and his family, they had uh, thought he had gone crazy, so they tried to kidnap him back in chapter 3 in verse number 21 and then in verse 31 through 35. And Jesus, he also taught the people in parables, but he only explained the parables to his disciples. He got to the place where the Jews began to become more blinded to the truth of the fact that he was the Messiah that was to come to sit on the throne of David. And the Jews, he could see that they were, that they were rejecting him, so he was slowly pulling himself away from giving them the truth. You see, God is not obligated to give anybody the truth that doesn't want the truth. And that, those multitudes, they quit following him, and so he began to speak to them in parables, so that the only way that you could understand it is if the one telling you the parable explains the parable. He explained it to his disciples. So he was having a pretty difficult day there, so to speak. But during the day, Jesus had sat in a little boat just off the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And on that boat right there, he got up and he used that boat as his pulpit as he began to preach that day. And so he preached to the multitudes that had gathered near. Now in chapter 4 and verse number 1, when the day was over, he called his disciples and told them there in verse number 35 to go ahead and, and let us go over to the other side. We're going to set sail. This, we're going to get in this boat and we're going to go to the other side. Then darkness fell and the disciples were making their way across this little lake. And while they were uh, guiding the boat, Jesus fell asleep in that boat. 
And he was, he was fast asleep. The Bible tells us that he fell asleep there. And so uh, he was, Jesus was laying fast asleep in that boat. There became some wind that coming along and a storm began to brew itself about there. And, 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 and let me say this while I'm on it. Jesus sleeping in that boat from a hard day that day shows you the humanity of our Lord. It shows you that he got tired just like man got tired. It shows you that, that we have a savior that understands what we go through. You may think that God's a million miles away and that he doesn't understand your predicament, but that's exactly one of the reasons why Jesus Christ came is so that he could understand what you and I go through. We also understand that he came to die for the sins of the whole world. But most of the Lord's disciples uh, were, were used to being on the Sea of Galilee at night. They were fishermen, the Bible tells us. And so they were used to that. That was their kind of business. And so they were used to it. But the events that would occur on this night were a rare occurrence that would happen at nighttime. But what these events did is they changed these disciples' lives forever. Uh, you know, when you go through a storm, it's going to change you, Right? I mean, let's just take, make some practicality here is that when you go through life storms, it's going to change you. It changed these disciples as well. And there's some things in these passages here that I think we can draw out that'll help us. So these miracles prove to the disciples and also to you and I that are here today and that are reading this, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is a hundred percent God. And at the same time, he's a hundred percent man. They demonstrate that he is the master of every situation. So that night in that storm, the disciples found themselves in the fight, in the storm of their life. And they uh, were, as they were going through this thing, all kinds of doubt were rising up in their heart. And they began to see some things and experience the Lord's power and the Lord's might in a way that they would have never experienced it had they not gone through this storm. And so today, let's climb into the boat with them as they cross over the Sea of Galilee And let's learn some of their experiences as well. You see, there's a sense that they're all in this journey together. And that's the same way it is this morning. We're in this journey together. It's not, well, it's you over here and you over here and you and you and me here. It's not that way. We're in this together. We are, if you're saved, you are a part of the body of Christ. We're in this thing together. And so as we sail, storms are going to arise. And storms are going to toss our vessel. Just like the disciples, we often think that the storms are going to destroy us. But I want to just simply remind you on the onset of the message here that the storms many times are not sent to destroy you, but the the storms are sent to develop you. That's what storms are for in a Christian's life. God's not trying to destroy you, but He's trying to develop you. So the master of the storm. Number one, let's notice the power of the storm. The power of the storm. In verse number 37, the Bible said, And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. So we see, first of all, it's suddenness. There arose a great wind, the Bible said. Just just like that, it just arose. Now, if you study this out a little bit, the storms like this are very common on the Sea of Galilee. And what you find is the Sea of Galilee, it's about 13 miles long and about 7 miles wide. It's about, what is this? I think they said it's 150 feet deep. And the shoreline is 680 feet below sea level. So with these mountains surrounding it, you can see that when the winds come across there, they can all of a sudden come up on all at one time, creating downdrafts over the lake. So combined with a thunderstorm that appears suddenly over the surrounding mountains, the waters begin to stir violently. Maybe even 15 or 20 feet waves might would start making their way up. But the sea can be calm one minute and violent the next. 
And these storms usually, they don't happen at night. It was a rare thing that one of these storms would happen at night. So these men did not set out in a storm, but they very quickly found themselves in the storm of their life because it was sudden. But you know what? That's the way life is for you and I too. just comes upon us just like that. We didn't see it coming many times, but it happens. Things can be fine one moment, and the next, the bottom falls out of it. One minute, you find yourself in fair weather, and the next minute, you find yourself in the middle of the most horrific and terrible storm of your life. We're talking about one phone call. We're talking about just simply a 24-hour period can change your life. One doctor's visit or one, one tick of the clock can change your life and transform it for the rest of your life. I mean, you can find yourself in a storm very quickly. And if anything, COVID's taught us that, hadn't it? It sure has. This shouldn't surprise us, though. The Bible says that storms will come our way. Job 14 and verse number 1, man that's born of a woman is few days and full of sorrow. So it's going to come our way. Troubles are going to come our way. Ecclesiastes 2.23, John 16.33. In fact, you're either in one of three places here this morning. You're either in a storm right now. Everybody in the building, you're, you're either in a storm right now, you just come out of a storm, or you're getting ready to go in one. Why? Because that's just the way life is. That's just the way life is. Sudden storms are a part of our lives. Notice not only the suddenness of it, but also notice the severity. The Bible said in the same verse, verse number 37, that the ship was now full. You see, these experienced fishermen here found themselves and were afraid of this storm and its severity. The ship rocked and reeled back and forth, and it was full of water, the Bible tells us here, and they were afraid this thing is about to sink. But they're experienced fishermen. They've done this day in and day out, but this one storm here, they're very, very afraid, and it was rare because it happened at nighttime. They couldn't see where they were. They couldn't see how close they were to the other ships. They couldn't even see how close they were to the shoreline. It, it caused them to be afraid. And they were in a terrible danger, and they feared for their lives. See, when the storms of life come, some are severe. Some cause us great pain. Number one, we see the storms of suffering blow into our lives every now and then. We see the devastation that it can leave us with as well and the heartache and the heartbreaks and the turmoil. And one problem will rise after another. And if we're not careful, they can bury us into a blizzard of affliction. And that's where you can find yourself in the storms of life and storms of suffering. Many of you could testify that here this morning. As I look around the building and I see some of you, I can see that some of you over the years I've known you that you've been through some storms of suffering. Others may face storms of sorrow as well. Sometimes maybe uh, a loved one, God calls them away. God takes them out of here and leaves you with grief stricken and shaken. Sorrow touches every life. There's nobody that's exempt from sorrow. If you live life very long, you're going to face it. You say, well, I'm young and my life is wonderful. Things are going great. Oh, you give it a little time. Life will take its toll on you. As you get older, you begin to look around and you begin to think, man, I'm the last of my generation. You know, you look back through your life and you see all the storms that you've weathered. But you see you had Jesus on board to help you get through every one of those storms if you're saved. Then we also see not only the storms of suffering, the storms of sorrow, but we also see that sometimes people can be engulfed in the storm of sin. When sin enters our heart, it always comes in a pleasant, well, not always, but many times it comes in a pleasant calm. The Bible said that there's pleasure in sin for a season. 
but just for a season. A lot of times it'll show up and it'll come out with its bright lights and neon signs and, and it's flashing and you're thinking, man, this is great and wonderful. But then it turns around and you find yourself in a storm because of the sin that you've allowed to take over in your life. You see, it's the storm of sin and it'll rip through your life like a tornado leaving a trail of damage and destruction that can only be repaired by the blood of Jesus Christ. Blood of Jesus Christ will fix all of your sin problem. I assure you that. He'll forgive you your sin. So some are in a storm even this morning as we speak. So the storms come and they bring with fear, with them fear and anxiety and they bring pain and they bring sorrow and suffering as life goes on. But I just want you to know that there's no storm on earth that heaven can't solve. There's no storm on earth that's too big for heaven. Amen? I mean, we serve a great big God this morning. There's no problem that's too great that Jesus can't fix. I don't care what your sin problem is. I don't care how much sin you've committed. I don't care how big the sin is. The blood can go where the sin, you see, where sin abounded. Grace didn't much more abound. Thank God for grace this morning. I tell you, and you say, why? I'd rather have grace than the law. I'd rather have grace than justice because if I got justice, if I got what I deserve, I'd be in hell today. But thank God for grace. So you just take that storm to Jesus Christ today and you watch him deal with that storm. So we see the severity of it. We've seen the suddenness of it. But we also see the source of it. The source of it. Where did this storm come from? Well, it may have been a natural storm. And after all, sometimes that does happen. There's a natural storm. And as I've already shared, the Sea of Galilee was susceptible to storms coming along by nature. But this one came at night, which made it rare. Now, God might have sent it for the very purpose of teaching these men some things. He may have sent it just to simply teach them to trust Him more. I think a lot of times that might be what our storms are for because we're not trusting the Lord like we should. So He sends a storm along the way to draw us closer to Him. Maybe the storm had some uh, satanic in origin. Maybe it had a satanic nature to it. You see, when Jesus calmed the storm in verse number 39, He said, be still. That's similar to over in Mark chapter number 1 verse 25 and uh, where He said, hold thy peace. And what that was a reference to was somebody that was devil-possessed. And uh, he said, hold thy peace. He muzzled the devil there. And maybe what it did, maybe what the Lord needs to do is he needs to muzzle the storm that's in your life. So maybe this storm was an attempt by the devil to destroy them or to, to, to destroy Jesus. But the Lord turned it around. You see, he's in control of the storm. The Bible doesn't really reveal the source of this storm. But we know that there's a purpose for it. We know that all things, all things, good and bad, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And we're talking about it earlier this morning. There's nothing that happens to a child of God by accident. If you're saved, nothing happens to you by accident. It's through the will of God that things happen in our lives. There is no such thing as luck. Is that right? Is that what he's talking about? Luck. The storms in our lives can come from various sources. Sometimes the storms are our own fault. You know, just ask Jonah. You want to know why Jonah was at the bottom of the ocean in the belly of a whale? He said, out of the belly of hell cried I. Do you want to know why Jonah was doing that? Because of the choices and the decision that he made. God said, I want you to go. And Jonah said, I'm not going for various reasons. And so God said, okay, we'll see about that. So he ends up being tossed overboard on a ship and he ends up at the bottom of the ocean in the belly of a whale. You say, you don't really believe that, do you? Oh, yeah. I, you know, I believe that Jonah was swallowed by a whale. And you've heard this, probably many of you heard this before too. But I believe, if the Bible said that Jonah swallowed the whale, I'd believe that. 
Why? Because it's the Bible. We're going to believe the Bible. We're Bible believers this morning. So sometimes the storms of life come because of our own fault. The Bible still says in Galatians 6 and verse number 7, For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. You see, what you sow, you're going to reap. And it usually comes back multifold. It don't come back as one seed. It comes back as multiple seeds. So sometimes the storms are our own fault. But then number two, sometimes God sends the storms. Why would he do this? Well, sometimes he does it to discipline us. Maybe sometimes he does it because he wants to draw us closer to him. That was the case with David and Bathsheba. You'll remember, I think it was over there in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse number 12 that God was showing David some things here. But he does that and causes that to happen in order to teach us to trust him deeper. This was the case with even Job in Job chapter 2 and verse number 3. It was just a simply a trial. If you study that thing out, there were some wild things that went on with Job there. Job didn't ask for that. Satan and the sons of God went before Job. And you know what God said? God said to Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? Well, where'd Job come from? Just out of the blue, God brought him up. Maybe God wanted to use him as a trophy of grace of some kind. I believe we're all trophies of grace this morning. I believe that'd make a good message. Just title it Trophies of Grace. If you're saved, you are a trophy of grace. Ephesians chapter number 2. Sometimes Satan is allowed to send the storm. The devil will whip up a storm in your life to try to defeat you and try to put a wedge between you and your relationship with Jesus Christ. And he'll do everything in his power to try to destroy you and bring you down. But you see, we have a real enemy. And Peter even describes him over there in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 8. He says, the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And so you see, the devil's not your friend. He's not your buddy. He's not your pal. He may make things look good and appear good and make things in the world look good, but it'll turn around like a snake and it'll bite you every time. That's what sin does. So we notice the power of the storm. But number two, we notice the problem of the storm. In verse 35, the Bible says, In the same day when Eden was come, he said unto them, or saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. Look at verse 38. And he was in the hinder part of the, of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? So what you see is you see the greatest storm that night was not on the Sea of Galilee. But the greatest storm that you see going on here in this passage right here is in the hearts of the disciples. You see, this storm began to whip up doubt in the heart of these disciples. They began to look at the storm instead of the God of the storm. They began to look at the circumstances and look, instead of looking at the Savior. And it began to whip up doubt within them that threatened to drown them all. And while the storm is raging around them, guess where Jesus is at? He's in the boat fast asleep. Isn't that something? That ought to show you and I something. If it doesn't bother Jesus, it probably shouldn't bother us. And that's probably a good truth to preach right there. You know what they done? They run to him. They ran to him and they awakened. The Bible says they awakened him. And so uh, awaken, it means to arouse from sleep. And they, these men felt terrified that all hope was lost and, and they felt like they were going down and the ship was going down. Notice the doubts of these men. Number one, they doubted his goodness. You know what they said? They said, carest thou not? You know, they were doubting his goodness is what they were doing. They accused the Lord of not caring about what they were facing. You ever been there before? I'm sure if you've served God very long, you've been there. And you're thinking, man, God's just a million miles away. And it seems like when I pray, I can't even get a prayer through. It just seems like God's not listening. And you're going through this big struggle and this, stri this trial and this storm. It seems like it's one of the biggest storms of your life. And God's nowhere to be found in it. So it seems. You see, I think we've all been there a time or two in our life. 
Maybe a little more than that. They doubted his goodness. Why this doubt? They had seen his compassion. They seen his goodness. They seen him heal people that were diseased. They seen him cast out devils. They'll see him do miracles and feed 5,000 and all of that. And now they're faced with a storm and now they're afraid. They should have known that a little puff of wind on a little pond couldn't thwart the omnipotence of God. He's all powerful. He's in control of the storm. Do you know what their problem was? They were looking at the situation instead of looking at the Savior. Just want to remind you, I'm not trying to belittle your storm this morning and what you're going through, but let me remind you to put your eyes on Jesus. That's where you can put your eyes. I know the storm might look rough and it might be tough and it might be painful, but I know the Lord. I know the one that will help you get through it. Now, before we get too hard on these men, we probably ought to consider our own hearts, shouldn't we? I mean, before we get too critical and say, man, they just don't have any faith. They are not trusting God. It's kind of like the children of Israel through the Old Testament. I mean, God would take care of them supernaturally. And every time they turned around and they were doubting God. Oh, you just brought us out here so that we could just thirst to death. Or God, you just brought us out here so that we could starve to death. Would to God that we just stayed in Egypt where we had garlics and leeks and we had plenty. And they doubted God every single time. But before we get too hard on these folks, we probably ought to consider ourselves and our own faith. And in light of how our faith is, is your faith weak this morning? So before we get too hard on these men, let's consider ourselves. Has there been times when the storms are raging in your life and you've asked God that question? Lord, don't you care about me? Don't you care what's happening? I sure he does. But you're going through the storm because you got your eyes on the storm instead of on the Savior. I just want you to know today that he does care. And he cares more than you could ever even realize. The Hebrew writer even said we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but in all points we're tempted as we are, yet without sin. You do serve a God that loves you. You do serve a God that cares about you. You see, they doubted His goodness, but they also, number two, doubted His grace. Notice they said, Carest not thou that we perish? I mean, remember, it was Jesus who sent him out on the, on the sea to begin with. Remember that? He said in verse number 35, let us pass over unto the other side. You see, God's not going to send you anywhere where he's not going to sustain you, where he's not going to be with you and where he's not going to help you. You see, you can't go too far where the grace of God can't reach. I'm telling you, man, it's a great thing. Grace is a great thing, isn't it? It sure is. But they doubted his grace. They said, we perish. They're afraid that Jesus is just going to let them die. You know what? Jesus didn't abandon them, and He's not going to abandon you either. You know what the Hebrew writer said? I think he quoted an Old Testament passage. He said, "He said, uh, for I, God said, for I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now, I know what Paul says about that thing right there, and I know the work that he's begun on us. He'll, he'll complete it. He's going to get it done, and he's going to continue to work it until the day that Jesus Christ comes back. I like that. That's Philippians 1, 6. And he's going to continue to do that work. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. So when the storm is raging and when your boat is rocking and reeling and when the strong winds are blowing, when the waves are crashing against your vessel, he will not let you go down. He won't let you sink. You're not going to go down with a master on board, right? I mean, you, you're not going to die and go to hell with a master on board. I assure you that. And the Lord's going to help you get through that thing. You're not going to crash down. The Lord Jesus Christ is 100% absolutely committed to every child of God here this morning. He's committed to you. Now the city of Jerusalem felt 
abandoned by God at one time uh, in Isaiah 49 and verses 14, 15, and 16. And the Lord had a reply. The Bible said, but Zion said, the Lord hath forsaken me and my Lord hath forgotten me. Can a man, or excuse me, can a woman forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. Now I realize that he's not talking to the church. I get that. I understand the doctrinal nature of the passage that he's talking to the Jew. He's talking to Israel and he's saying, look, you know, I'm here for you. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm going to, you're going to continually be before me. But if the Lord would have loved this nation, Israel, as much as he did enough to redeem them out of Egypt, then how much more does he love you and I whom he redeemed and died on a cross and bled for you and I to save us out of hell and from our sins? I mean, you know, he's committed to you. I'm trying to, trying to, trying to stress that a little bit. He will be present with you and he will give you grace sufficient for your need. Remember, Paul had a thorn in the flesh. I believe it was his eyesight. Now, we went through the book of Galatians, and I, I believe we saw that that's a great possibility that Paul's thorn in the flesh was that he couldn't see. God knocked these lights out in Acts chapter number 9, and then he went to a man by the name of Ananias and got his sight back. But it could be that his eyes got a little worse and bad over a period of time. And so it could have been his eyesight, and there's some scripture to support that. But he had a thorn in the flesh, whatever it was. And he prayed for God three times for God to take it away. And you know what each time Jesus said? Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for thee. Man, isn't that something? So Paul said, Lord, I would appreciate if you take this thorn in the flesh away. He said, my grace is sufficient for me, uh, for thee. Paul said, Lord, I sure would appreciate it though. I understand what you're saying, but I'd appreciate it if you just take this uh, thorn in the flesh away. And you know what God said? My grace is sufficient for thee. Three times he said, my grace is sufficient for thee. I believe the same thing applies to you and I today. I believe God's grace is still sufficient for you and I. It may feel like you're going down. It may feel like you're going under. It may feel like you're going to drown and sink. But I assure you, according to the Bible, God's grace is sufficient for his children this morning. I believe that. But notice number three, they doubted his guarantee. Notice what he said in verse number 35. He said, let us pass over unto the other side. That is a promise. We're going to get to the other side. But he didn't promise it'd be easy. Isn't that life? I mean, God promised he'd save you, but he didn't promise he'd pay your bills. He didn't promise that he'd keep gas in your tank of your car. He didn't promise that you'd have a million dollars in the bank account, did he? But he promised that he'd be there with you as you went through this life. You see, they doubted his guarantee. Jesus had already told these men that he was go- what was going to ha- that what was going to happen. He was going to get them to the other side. In verse thirty-five, let us pass over on the other side, and then they get to the other side. And so the Lord made sure to keep His word. And if they had just believed the words of Jesus Christ, everything would have been all right. Though they went through the storm, they could have should should have just thought, you know what? We don't have any reason to fear because we're going to get to the other side. Can I assure you, as children of God, we're going to get to the other side one day? I mean, we can't promise what's going to happen in between. I mean, it might not be all crowns and roses and butterflies and all that stuff. I mean, it might be peril and distress and persecution and those types of things. And I don't believe we saw persecution uh, like what we might see if the Lord tarries a little while longer. Now, this thing's ramping up. You can start to see all the things in the world that's going on right now and all this craziness. We're talking about people that don't know their left hand from their right hand. I mean, they don't even know whether they're a boy or a girl. I mean, you know, that, you know, the Bible said that God is not the author of confusion. You know what? You go down the hallway there and you go about halfway and you hang a right. And when you go there, you're going to see two restrooms. You're going to see the ladies first and you're going to see the men's. 
What a shame it is to have to come to a place like that and stop and wonder which restroom that you're going to have to use. You know what? You know what you are because you're born what you are. You know, the only confusion is in a person's mind and their heart. I know this isn't, uh, this isn't popular preaching. I mean, you turn the TV on, it's everywhere. Homosexuality, sodomy's all over the place. Transgenderism, they're forcing it down your throat even though, what is it, 1% or less than 1% is transgender anyway. But they've got the, they've got the microphone, don't they? They got the microphone. They got that megaphone out there. And because they're louder, you know, the loud, the, you know what it is, the greasy wheel gets the, 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 the loudest, whatever the, I've forgot what it is. Forget it. We'll move on. <laughs> Y'all ever get messed up sometimes like that? It's terrible when you're preaching and you do. <laughs> but anyway, well, let me move on. <laughs> I done lost where I'm at. Oh my. They doubted his guarantee. That's where we're at. You don't have to doubt God's guarantee. He guarantees he's going to get you and I to the other side, and I assure you he's going to do just that. We're the same way as the disciples. The Lord already promised them. Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. We know God's going to work it out. And it's going to be for his good and our good, according to the Bible. Also, we find and read over in uh, Romans chapter number 8 and verse number 18, Paul said, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So what we go through here today, it's not worthy to be compared with what God has in store for His children. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 4 and uh, verse number 15, Paul says, For all things are for your sakes, that the, ab- excuse me, the ab- abundant grace might abound through the thanksgiving of many, redound, that word means contribute, redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. I like that verse right there. I mean, that outward man perish. It's getting older. It's getting grayer. And what's not getting gray is falling out, right? And then, uh, you know, we're just getting older, getting wrinkles and crow's feet and stuff like that. The outward man's perishing, but he says in the verse that the inward man is renewed day by day. That reminds me of Psalm 84, 7, where his mercies are renewed every day. Every day you put your feet on the floor, God's mercies are renewed every day. And Paul goes on and says this. I mean, Paul was a crazy man if you study him. You would think, the average Christian today would think that Paul was a lunatic by the way he wrote and he talked. Listen to this. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, <laughs> light affliction, we're talking about the man who was shipwrecked, who was beaten, who was snake-bent, who was stoned to death, he was drugged through the streets, he was suffered all these things, and he comes along and writes, for our light affliction. <laughs> that ought to make you and I feel about that big, shouldn't it? I mean, you know, I'd hate to be standing at the judgment seat of Christ behind Paul, wouldn't you? I mean, I don't know how all that thing's going to work out. I really don't know. I know all saved people from Pentecost or the rapture is going to have to be, uh, you know, have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and be judged one day. So, you know, I, I would just hate to be standing behind him. You know, I don't know. Uh, I, I just, uh, I don't know. I just wouldn't, I wouldn't like that. But anyway, I, I think we're all going to feel pretty small one of these days when it comes to what we've done for the Lord in light of what he did for us. He says in verse 18, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. You know, you got to be careful about as a Christian. Be careful about looking on the things that you see. Television, politics. I know it's hard. I stay away from politics in church. I just, you know, there's so much more in the Bible to preach than just politics. I mean, there's so much more in the Bible. We don't need to get wrapped up in all that stuff right there. Just go for the, just go vote for the person that's going to pad your pocket, I guess is the way to do that. It's all carnal anyway, isn't it? 
That's what voting is. It's, well, my best interest, cha-ching, is this man. Or my best interest, cha-ching, is this man. And so I don't know, but we don't, you know, we just try to stay away from that kind of stuff there. It just, just, it's going to melt with a fervent heat one of these days. So all the investment you've put in that's just going to melt anyway. So Paul comes along and he says, while we look not on the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul said the things that you're seeing right now, they're just temporal. Your car, your house, your job, all that stuff. It's all just temporal. He said the things that you can't see are eternal. God, Jesus, His throne, my salvation, all that's eternal. I can't see it. You see, it's eternal. And so Paul says that for you and I. What do I mean? He has promised you and I that He'll take care of us. And if we just learn to take Him at His word, then we could face the storms of life without fear. If we'd understand who controls the storm, I think that would help us a whole lot when we go through those storms and the waves begin to crash. I read an illustration one time, a young military officer and his young bride were married. And they set out on a honeymoon voyage, and while they set sail, a violent storm began to beat against their vessel. Well, the young bride became very frightened during the storm, but her new husband wasn't afraid. And she kind of got irritated with him. That's the way women are. If you, you know, if the husband don't respond like the women do, you know, the women kind of get upset, right? Well, why ain't you, the, you know, you ought to be just as angry as I am, you know, and all that stuff. And he just laid back sipping on his sweet tea, you know. It's just some men are like that, you know. <laughs> she's the one usually fretting. And that's the way this woman was. And uh, she was just irritated with the fact that he wasn't afraid like she was. Well, after a while, he took his sword and he pulled it out of the sheath and he put the point of the sword to her throat and she began to smile. And he said, aren't you afraid? And she said, how can I be afraid when the sword is in the hands of the one that loves me? Boy, isn't that a great truth this morning? I mean, when you're going through a storm, don't you know God sent that storm or allowed that storm in your life? And as long as you're in the hands of the one that love you, that storm isn't going to take you out. It ain't going to take you down. God will carry you through that thing. So the woman got the point. So we see, number one, the power of the storm. Number two, we see the problem of the storm. But then number three, last of all, and I'll be done, we see the purpose of the storm. That's found in verses 39 through 41. You see, when they woke Jesus from sleep... He began to work. And as he did, they made some great dis discoveries about the Lord, their Savior. And these are some discoveries that you and I can use as well as we face storms in our lives. Number one, they made discoveries about his power. They made discoveries about his power. This storm that terrified these men posed no problem for Jesus Christ. There's no storm too big for the God that we serve. No storm too big at all. I mean, if, you know, he rebuked the wind and spoke to the sea, and when he did, the winds fell silent. Just as easily as he healed the sick and raised the dead, the winds were calmed, and he was able to control the storm. You see, the Lord that we serve still has the same power today. He's not lost that power. He's still in control of the same power. Your storm is no problem for him. I mean, if he wants to, he can calm the storm just like that. But maybe sometimes he allows us to go through it and just says, my grace is sufficient for thee. And you're made perfect in his weakness. When he does this, he's well able to protect us in the midst of the storm. I think about uh, an Old Testament story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember that? Remember King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, he said, uh, he, he built an, 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 he built an, uh, a statue. And he said, now when we play the music, we want everybody in the kingdom to bow to this idol. And so the music began to play and everybody in the kingdom bowed down except for three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
And somebody said, hey, king, everybody did what they were supposed to except for those three guys. You may want to have a talk with them because that's an attack on your authority because you said everybody must bow down. So the king goes over there and he says, look, fellas, he said, maybe you didn't hear me right the first time. Now I'm paraphrasing some of this. Maybe you didn't hear me right the first time. Uh, but, but I said that whenever the music begins to play, you bow down and you begin to worship that image. And if you don't see that fire, that furnace over there, we go throw you in it. But before we throw you in it, we're going to crank it up seven times hotter than it is already. And they said, King, though you throw us in there, we're not going to bow. The same God that will deliver us out of your hands will deliver us out of that fire too. So the music began to play. Everybody bowed except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So the king said, okay. And they bound him, cranked the fire up, threw him in there. And then the king thought, well, we're done with them. Now we can get back to business. Somebody said, hey, king, you might want to take a second look. The king got over and he began to look and he, I don't know, I'm just picturing, he looked into the furnace there and he didn't see three men in the fire. He saw four. They were unbound and dancing around in the fire. And the fourth man, the Bible said, had the form of the Son of God, the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ there in the Old Testament going through the fire with him. And he'll go through your storm and your trial too. You see, I think about that. I think about Daniel. Daniel prayed three times a day, and because he prayed three times a day, he opened up his window in his bedchamber, and he looked towards Jerusalem because that's where, that's where the temple was, and they looked towards Jerusalem. And when they prayed in the Old Testament, and he prayed three times, and somebody ratted him out. And so the king had him thrown in the lion's den. I don't know. I'm just reading between the lines, but I figure probably the way God works, you know. I say the next morning the king went over there and took the lid off that pit and looked down in there, and he got a surprise. I'd say he, Daniel was probably using that line for a pillow. <laughs> Just as calm as can be. You know, when you go through a storm, that's the way you can handle it too. I, I realize how the flesh is. I understand. I, I, I've got to keep myself in check. I can get, you know what? I can get bent out of shape just like anybody else can too. I mean, we're all prone to it. But I think the more that we grow, the more we'll understand that we can trust in Him and less in ourselves. I believe that's in order this morning. So they made discoveries about his power. Number two, they made discoveries about his promise. Uh, just as he said, they passed over. Remember verse 35 said, let us pass over unto the other side. Look at chapter 5 and verse 1. And they came over unto the other side of the sea. <laughs> See that? If, if You know, if somehow in my mind as I'm studying this and reading this, if I could just remove all the verses in between, I'd have it made. Lord said, pass over to the other side, other side. And now all of a sudden we're on the other side. But you see, there's so much more in between getting from here, point A to point B, isn't there? But you see, they learned and discovered some things about His promise that God is a man of His Word. And I've got good news for the church today. He is still a man of His Word. Everything that He's promised, He will do. He'll not back away from any promise that He's made and that He's written down in His book, in His Word. They made discoveries about His power, His promise, and then they made discoveries about His presence. When the Lord is in your vessel, you got the advantage. Notice in verse number 36, the Bible says, and there were also with him other little ships. There was other little ships. But I'll guarantee you the ship to be on was the one where Jesus is on, right? That's the ship to be on right there. You see, we set sail uh, on this sea of life and we need to remember that uh, all these things are in his hands and that if he's in us, everything is going to be okay. Let me move on here. They also made discovery about his purpose. The storm taught these men some lessons here. Also, they made discoveries about his peace. They were fearing and fretting. What, what's the Lord going to do? Well, he, he's back there asleep. Like he took some sleeping pills or something. He's asleep, man. He's out. The storm ain't bothering him a bit. 
I, I know sometimes people say, well, we had a bad storm over here. Did y'all? I said, well, I didn't hear anything. Well, how could you not hear that? I don't know. I was asleep. <laughs> you know, I was just out. And I, I imagine that's the way the Lord was. He was just out. You know, it didn't bother him at all that they were in this storm here. He knows that he's in the center of his father's will and he knows that he's going to die on a cross one day. So this storm ain't going to be the one that takes him out. He understands that. So they made discoveries about his peace. Notice they also made discoveries about his person. You see, when Jesus calmed the sea, they were amazed. They said in verse number 41, what manner of man is this? They discovered something about the person, this man. Can I ask you something? Do you know him today? He can corral the waves and lasso the winds. He can hogtie. That's what we say, isn't it? He can hogtie that storm. Do you know him? If you don't, you can know him today because he's the master of the sea. If it's a storm of suffering, he can ease the pain. If it's a storm of sorrow, he can calm your soul. If it's a storm of sin, he can deliver you and save you right now, right here today. Maybe what somebody needs to hear this morning, we're getting ready to close. I'm going to ask the piano player to, to come and she's going to begin to play on the piano. But maybe what you need to hear, and I'm not saying audibly, I don't believe God speaks to us audibly today, but I believe in a spiritual sense, is the Lord, are you needing to hear the Lord say, peace, be still in your life? Are you in a storm where you need to hear that? Well, you can hear it today. Just take your problems and your burdens to the Lord. Let's bow our heads.